Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 159 of the All Can Hear podcast. I'll be your host today, Patrick. And joining me today are my three confined co-hosts. It's me, Johnny Boy. It's me, Colt, that feels very cold and tired, and the life is flowing from his body. It's fraudulent Wenzel. Oh, 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 oh no! <laughs> and uh, today's episode, continuing with our month of movies, we're going to dig a little into our recommendations for while you're, everyone's still at home, still under quarantine, and discuss what's the best way to pass the time other than movies. So basically, we'll be going through some of the movies we've watched, some movies we could recommend, good, bad, and some very strange movies, for yeah. sure. So that, that'll be on topic for today. And kicking us off on our viewing party, we have Wenzel. Wenzel, why don't you talk about the first movie that's on the docket today? All right. I, w- I would say back around spring break, there was a uh, there was something that been, has been popping up on my YouTube feed. It's a trailer for a movie. And Colt, <laughs> we, we, got it, we had a get-together, and Colt put it up because he was interested in it just as much as I was. And we watched a trailer for it, and uh, I was like, okay, now I have to see it. But then this uh, quarantine happened, pandemic. Just know this was all before this hit the fan. Yeah. And so it was our last get together. Yeah, it was our last get together. So, but like this all happens. I was like, crap, how am I going to see this movie? Well, uh, luckily, uh, it, it came on to uh, streaming services, I think, last week, the 1st of May, maybe a little bit sooner than that. And it is the uh, true history of the Kelly Gang, and uh, it's directed by Justin Kurzel. And it says on the letter on his letterbox page that it originally came out in 2019, but um, it didn't like, I guess, officially. Re- that's when it was like uh, debuted or like was shown around with 2019. Uh, it didn't actually like release or come on a streaming service until this year, and uh, it stars George McKay as Ned Kelly. Ned Kelly is. Uh, a criminal, an infamous uh, bushranger of Australia, and I'll just read off of the letterbox um, description or short synopsis. But set against the badlands of a colonial Australia, where the English rule with a bloody fist and the iron, the Irish endure. Ned Kelly discovers he comes from a line of Irish rebels, an uncompromising army of cross-dressing bandits immortalized for terrorizing their oppressors back in Ireland. Nurtured by the notorious bushranger Harry Power. And fueled by the unfair arrest of his mother, Kelly recruits a wild bunch of warriors to plot one of the most audacious attacks of anarchic rebellion the country has ever seen. Now, despite what the title says, this is completely fictional. It is actually based off of a novel, uh, which goes by the same name, True History of the Kelly Gang, that was released in the 2000. And um, Oh, I thought this was some old, old story. It is an old story. Ned Kelly's Wait. a real person. The events, oh, okay. the events of him happened back in... Um, he died in uh, 1880. That's when he was executed. And um, so the movie's based off a book that's not real, but the book's based off of somebody that's real. Yes. Okay. Ned Kelly was a real person. He was a criminal. He was what was known as an Australian bushranger, ranger, bushranger. My bad. Uh, he was an outlaw, gang leader, and uh, you know he he killed policemen, and. Um, and one of the best, one of the most famous things that he's known for is he wore uh, a suit of bulletproof armor. You even see that in the trailer, uh, yeah. which is like what kind of you know gives him away. And yeah, it's completely, it's completely fictional. But uh, but besides that, I think the the film it was absolutely fantastic. I loved it. George McKay did a great job playing this character. Um, 
and I remember it was so, like so many reviews I've seen about the film was that like you know even though it's not a true it's not actually a true history of the of the person it's more of a um a character study and i've said that so many times or and i've read that so many times it's it's a character study and i think it is just great it's just fantastic um george mckay if uh, anybody remembers he played um I don't remember his rank, but the character Schofield in 1917, yeah. which uh, recently came out as well this year. Um, another amazing movie, though. Another amazing movie. It's just great. It, like uh, the movie is also divided up into like uh, three sections, which are like kind of like the points of history within Ned Kelly, which is uh, the first being boy, the second being man, and then the third. I I won't say what that is, but um. Yeah, I would, I would definitely go and watch it. it it's, it's really, really freaking good. I can't really think of much else to say other than that. Go watch it. Yeah, I plan on watching it because that trailer made it look really, really fun. The, yeah, like no, like if if you want to go watch the trailer, um, to get maybe a t- just a taste. It definitely the trailer gives you a little taste of what it's gonna be like. Um, it's a lot it. more fun than you're probably expecting. Uh, the trailer it, well, makes it look I, more fun. Well, I should say the trailer does make it seem really fun, but it, just know the movie is very, very serious. Okay. Um, it definitely, it definitely has um, the gore, the or the violence isn't too over the top, but there is violence, there is blood, there is uh, strong language, there is sexual content as well. It, it's it definitely not is a lot, but it's not too over the top. It's really good, and uh, you can actually re- rent it on Amazon for like six ninety nine. So check it out. It's very interesting to hear you talk about it because I remember us catching that trailer on our last Bancho weekend, and it really caught my eye because it had, you know, like you said, the fella from nineteen seventeen, and that's the first time I ever saw him in a movie was nineteen seventeen, and they did a great job there. I'm definitely interested to pick up what he does going forward, and. Uh, I like Charlie Hunnam as an actor, and I know he he's in this movie as yep. well. So it was something on my list. I had actually meant to watch it this week, but I'm glad one of us picked up that ball. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I uh, I kept telling myself I gotta watch, I gotta watch. I kept putting it off, kept putting it off, and I'm glad I, I finally um, sat down and did. It, it was it definitely had me hooked. Um, oh, and another famous actor in it as well, Nicholas Holt is in it. Um, okay. Yeah, he's he's known for playing uh, the Beast um, in X Men. All the the newer X Men yeah. movies. Um, the weirdest part of the newest X Men movies. He looks so freaky in those movies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, he was also he was also uh, uh, one of the guys in uh, uh, Mad Max. Fuck, what's that movie? Mad Max. Yeah. yeah. He was Nux oh yeah, he was the first guy. Nux. Nux. Yeah, in Mad. Witness yeah. me. Yeah, I-, I told you that, Cole. I know. I'm just like putting <laughs> the face to the uh, oh, oh, okay, movies. Yeah. Uh, Oh, and uh, Thomasin McKenzie's in it as well. She has a small part in there. Um, she was the uh, the Jewish girl in um, Jojo Rabbit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh okay. I didn't realize how old she was. Like she looked so young in that movie, and then in here, um, she looked a lot older. But I, I had, to, I was like, because there's a very, um, for me, it was kind of a strange part in the movie. I was like, how old is this girl? And she's like, I think she was born in like 2000. So she's like. 19 right now about to be 20 or something i was like i was like wow this is weird <laughs> yeah fucking age and time and whatnot just the thought of people being that are born in uh 2008 or 
12. That shit hurt my head. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you. Next segment belongs to you because you had some Netflix recommendations. For yeah, us, I'm going to give you the first half. I've got 10 total. I'm going to give you the first five now. I've got some Netflix recommendations that are currently on Netflix at the moment of uh, recording, which is May 9th, 2020. So they should be on Netflix for a little bit of time because uh, some of these have been on Netflix for years at this point. And uh, the first one yeah. on the list that I have is The Place Beyond the Pines. Uh, I don't know uh, how many people here have seen it. I know Wenzel has. Uh, I think I'm the only one who hasn't seen so, it. Lame. Pat, you were there when we watched it together, right? No, I, I haven't seen this, but I know it's been referenced several times in the, yeah, in the group. We've already talked about it a whole bunch, but uh, to give you a little taste, is it's about the life of uh, a circus uh, stunt bike guy that... Uh, it's played by Ryan Gosling, who is an angel among men. And he's amazing in this movie as well. He's amazing in all of his roles. But he does the famous quote uh, that... I don't know if Tanner's done it on the podcast, but in our group, Tanner likes to scream this quote, which is... Get out of the fucking crowd! Right now! It's a very good line. Uh, I don't want to say too much about this movie. Because it's... Like, 30 minutes into the movie, it changes drastically, and I don't want to say anything beyond that point. Like, do you get what I'm saying, P uh, Wenzel? <laughs> uh, okay, yes. Wenzel gets... <laughs> Watch Place Beyond the Pines, it's amazing. Yeah, it, no, it's, it's a fantastic movie. Uh, I, didn't, I went in knowing absolutely nothing about it, and if you go in knowing absolutely nothing about it, 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 uh, it rewards you. Um, not... I, I should... Reward you is kind of like a very vague and ambiguous like term i'm using right now it's it's emotional it is a very emotional movie but uh to g get off place beyond the pines watch it it's on netflix it's been on netflix for years so I, this is one of the movies that i do think will probably be on netflix till the end of time till the sun destroys us number two is uh, a combination of movies which is uh creep one and creep two uh, where the main person is played by Mark Duplass, which is another amazing actor, which he'll pop up again in the future. But uh, Creep is about a guy who responds to, I think it's Craigslist, or it's a fictional version of Craigslist, like uh, Tom's List. Yeah. And he responds to a Craigslist <laughs> ad of uh, a guy that says, just be my friend, come be my friend for a day. And uh, he does so, and... Uh, the person that wanted the friend for a day is a little bit creepier than uh, expected. And uh, that person that put the ad up is Mark Duplass. The person behind the camera, uh, you don't really know. It's a found footage film, by the way. He goes through his antics as time goes on. When you finish Creep 1, I guarantee you'll want to watch Creep 2. Because, personally, it was one of my favorite watches of, I want to say, 2018. Because I watched them back to back. It's either late 2018 or early 2019. Very, very good movies. Check those out. Third movie on the list is Paddleton. It's I'm saying Paddleton, not Paddington, okay? You mean it's, it's not about the it teddy bear? It's not about the teddy bear at all. If you think no, it's, it's about the teddy oh, bear, you are wrong and sad. He's not a teddy bear. He's uh, a real bear. It, this is the one with Ray Romano, It's with right? Ray Romano and Mark Duplass from uh, the Creep movies. Uh... It's okay. an insanely 
insanely sad movie. I'm just going to read the little tidbit that you get from the screen. It says, An unlikely friendship between two misfit neighbors becomes an unexpected emotional journey when the younger man is diagnosed with terminal cancer. I know, it's a bummer. It's a real big bummer. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like it's It's heavy. insanely heavy, because uh, the movie's called Paddleton. The name doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. Paddleton is just a game that these two friends played together probably twice in the whole movie. Over time, just seeing their friendship evolve and like how it plays out in the movie, it's very, very emotional. Uh, watch this. Just watch it if you want to have a sad but a good time. It's a very good. I yeah. cried for an hour after yeah. watching yeah, it. Yeah, I remember when that movie came out and... It didn't get a lot of buzz, but I remember the people who did see it were like, it is a crime that no one is seeing this movie because it is ju apparently just that it's good. It's real good. And it's been been on my list for a while. I just haven't gotten to and, it. And uh, Ray Romano in serious roles is really good because uh, whenever I used to see him, i think, wow, it's that comedy man from his famous TV show. Him in yeah. serious roles is real good. I, what Was he in uh, Uncut Gems? No. No, he was in Irishman. Irishman. That's a serious movie as well. He was good in there. Which is also what? on Netflix. No, Irishman was a comedy. It, uh, yeah, I mean, kind of. Yeah, it was. I'm the Joker, baby. My life's a comedy. <laughs> I'm the Joker, baby. Yeah. It was real funny when Robert De Niro tried to beat up that guy. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah it was. But <laughs> the fourth... If you ever want to see an 80-year-old man pretend to be a 50-year-old man and then try to beat a man in the street and then run away, that's a primo scene yeah. from The Irishman. Hey, it is a fantastic movie, but God, that scene is fucking goofy. I will shit. say, as a man that's watched uh, almost all of, uh, what's his name, Scorsese's mafia movies, Irishman is mm -hmm. probably the weakest of them. It's still good, but it's what a weaker one. But check it out if you're interested in the mafia movies. That's not on my list, but whatever. Uh, number four is The Florida Project. It is another very emotional type movie. It's a movie about uh, a kid that it's, it's a, from the POV of a child that lives in, in a hotel or a motel, I can't remember, one of the above, that uh, is right next to Disney World. And uh, during the movie, it's about the child's antics and what she does during the day, which is not the best because uh, they're very poor family. It's a very sad movie as well. Most of these movies are sad. I watch serious drama movies. That's my thing. <laughs> but uh, definitely check out Florida Project. Willem Dafoe is a prize uh, from heaven. Him and uh, Mark Duplass and uh, Ryan Gosling, gods. I love them so much. And the guy who did the Florida Project also uh, directed Tangerine, which I think is still I on Netflix. But 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 I also I also really recommend yeah. that. It was a movie. Uh, the the whole gimmick was it was shot on an iPhone. Yeah, yeah. And it follows uh, two uh, trans prostitutes, and shit gets crazy. <laughs> yeah, and for my final move, me from uh, this segment for now is uh, Cam. It's a movie about a Cam girl that ha runs into some weird events that are a little bit supernatural in a way. And this is another movie that I think that's where I should stop explaining it because it is very, very good. It's a horror movie, by the way. It's a realistic horror movie. It should definitely check it out. And don't let... I know there's some people that are stuck up and just, like, get... Like, if there's some kind of weird sexuality thing in the movie that won't watch it, stuck up people. 
check it out. It's real good. I don't have a problem with it, so I, I ignored it easily. Check it out. Cam's very good. All right. Yeah, sure. Very nice. A very sour recommendation. If you have the emotional bandwidth, <laughs> these, are, these are all highly recommended and worth your time. As for me, I went down a little bit of a movie hole with this episode. Yeah, Pat definitely watched the most out of all of us. My movie hole was actor-specific, and I chose Oscar Isaac for my movie oh. hole. So for this, I watched two short films that he was in and two feature-length films. I will say these are recommended but for different reasons. They're definitely more so on the bizarre to interesting uh, part of the spectrum. These uh, two short films are Lightning Face and Tiki Tacky. And Lightning Face is a short film that Oscar Isaac in where he's a, w- a well-to-do man who's fairly vain and then one day he's struck by lightning and it hits him in the face appropriately. <laughs> and so when he comes to, he's, he's, he's covered in blood and he has like this like gracious scar on the left side of his face and he just freaks out and just sequesters himself in his apartment for a week. And it's a, it's a, these, both of these shorts are on Vimeo for free. And they're both about 15, 20 minutes. And with, with Lightning Face, it just you just see the daily progression of his sort of slow descent into insanity. Because what starts off is like he's just, he assumes his life is ruined because, you know, he's no longer as handsome as he once thought he was. So he's just sort of completely demolishes his living room and just sort of lounges about. And then over the course of it, it starts to blur a line between reality and sort of insanity where you have these sequences where he's sort of like in space and Apparently, the only channel on his TV is, is like a just a, a wallpaper, like a Windows wallpaper of, of a galaxy, and he's, he sort of fades in and out of that. And he starts to like methodically draw lightning bolts on, sti- on sticky notes and just arrange them around his house. And so it, it, it gets to a point where you're not sure if he's going insane, but whether or not this is this transformation is leading to something bigger. Yeah. Because you kind of get the feeling that he actually is developing some sort of ability from it. Because, like, he uh, crafts his suit, and then at the end, he sort of makes a decision. And you're sort of of left to wonder what he's become at the end of his uh, sort of tenure in the home. And and Because I didn't know anything about the—I just saw this on his list of movies, and I checked it out. And it is sort of strangely appropriate— Mm-hmm. To what a lot of us are going through, sort of just like locked, locked in our homes, either by choice or whatever reason, a lot of ways just like left to stew in our own mind. Of course, it's, it's very fantastical, but it's not dissimilar to what a lot of people are going through. Mm-hmm. So I definitely feel like that's the more straight lace of the two of the two short films. Tiki Tacky is more on like more comedic and more more outlandish. Because Sticky Tacky is just where Oscar Isaac plays a very wealthy man, a big, sumptuous library. And uh, he has a attache that's just, just a 10-year-old boy in, like, a suit that sort of acts as his muscle. <laughs> okay. And apparently he discovers that his fiance is cheating on him with his best friend. So he calls them in and he gives them a very stern ultimatum. The ending of it just has a great sequence of Oscar Isaac in it. Because he, when he just sort of, like snaps and just sort of goes through his sort of breakdown and he's sort of like this very posh and eloquent man and he's like all of a sudden he's like pointing the gun at him and then he's pouring gasoline and then he's trying to shush his uh secretary and then he's like smoking a cigarette and it's like it's just you get to see him just go through a range of manic emotions in the, in the span of 15 minutes so 
Uh, I, I recommend it just to see how bonkers it is. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, and these both of these short films, I think they're made by the same director, at least had some very crossover actors in it. They're both short, 15, 20 minutes, well made. They both look gorgeous. I think, you know, they're worth looking at just to see like a, a different side of what a well-known actor can do. Now, the next two movies, these are both pre-Star Wars. And the first one is Revenge for Jolly. And I actually found this on Voodoo, which is... Walmart streaming Wait, service? Wait, what? That's a yeah. Walmart thing? Huh. Yeah. Because Walmart has a streaming service called Voodoo where you know you can rent movies, like obviously some of the bigger ones, and you can also find some obscure movies but just because they're cheaper to license and nobody else has them. So I'm like, okay, let's check this one out. So Revenge for Jolly. To put it succinct, this movie tripped and fell down the stairs so John Wick can run. It's very similar in premise to John Wick. John Wick literally came out the year after. It's about a about a man. They never said what he does. It's just a criminal line of work. And he runs afoul of somebody for some reason. And then so he, after a wild night of drinking with his cousin, Oscar Isaac, he comes back home to find his beloved miniature pincher dog lynched from the ceiling fan. What the hell? No! And it's so jarring because he just stumbles in. And he's like, "Hey, Jolly!" And he just, he just camera just pans over to like a silhouette of a tiny dog, literally strung up by a noose from the ceiling. It's just like, okay. So the a big thing to go about into this movie is that it doesn't have an ounce of these of the sympathetic character or really anything that makes John Wick as strong as it was. It's basically just like kind of it kind of just takes for granted that oh, someone's dog was killed, so therefore everything they do is now justified. <laughs> no, it doesn't. None, none of what this main character does is justified because literally he's just an asshole who kills everybody. Because there's like six set pieces in the movie. And like every single one, he just kills people for no reason. Because like, I'm mad, bang, bang. And Oscar Isaac, he was billed in the movie as like uh, the main character's like unstable cousin. But really, Oscar Isaac is the most sane person in the movie. Because like every time they go to a different set, Oscar says, hey, maybe we shouldn't kill this guy. And guess what? Fucker kills somebody. Oscar Isaac. So they just go through <laughs> at least four different sets where the main character kills people for no reason. All the while trying to find the guy that killed his dog. Like I said, there's just remorse. There's no sympathy. It's just like he's an asshole who wants to marry his dog, as we find out. Wait. Wait, what? Because he's what? just this sad, pathetic loner, and the dog is the only thing he had. Just like, because after they get drunk, hey, you know, Oscar's like, you know, my girlfriend's been talking a lot about marriage. I think, I think we might do it. I really changed my life around. And then the main character is like, yeah, I don't have anybody, but I would marry Jolly, my dog. All right. <laughs> so it's just yeah. absurd. So after he just killed, ooh, let's say he kills about 15 people. Jesus Christ. N- none of whom are really in any way connected to the bad guy. Yeah. And then, so they, they finally figure out where the bad guy is. So you're expecting at this point there's going to be this grand resolution, grand revelation of who the bad guy is and why all this it's happened. It's a dog. The dog did it. So, so they get to the – the dog did it. No. So they get to the bad guy's house and uh, this strangely cowboy guy, like he has these golden plated boots and like a curly cute mustache and eating milk and cookies. And then when a homeboy gets to the front door, it's like, we got some talking to do. So he goes in, door closes behind him, camera pans out. You hear two gunshots, movie oh. ends. That's it. There's no explanation to why it happened or even a, a, a big climactic conversation. It's just like, he that's kills it. the fucker dead, and that's that's an hour and a half. 
of just like Tom Fuckery. And the thing is, Oscar Isaac, even though he's like this tag along character, puts in a really good performance. You're acting like he and, was pretty much the main character. As in, like, the way he was acting, it was so good that he became the main character. Essentially, like, because the main character, the actual main character, he's just really sort of dour and flat. And it's just sort of like, uh, anybody gets in my way is just going to get rubbed out. And Oscar is just kind of like, he kind of has, like, his own sort of trajectories. Like, he's my cousin. I, he helped me out when I was in jail, and I was going through all my mental health, health issues. So, like, I need to help him. I owe him. And he's, like, constantly trying to, like, hey, don't do this. Maybe let's not do this. But he, he ends up just kind of getting drugged along anyway. But he has, like, some really nice, some nuance. There, there's definitely some whack, you know, some other just sort of weird, silly shit. But I think for what the movie is, is worth, he does really good. So, super cut of Oscar Isaac just being drunk around in this insanity. It's That'd be worth to watch for sure. If you want to watch a movie that's just really weird for just no good reason, I think that's recommended for a group to just to, to sit down and shit talk. And the second movie is called Mojave, which is also on Netflix. This movie's a bit more questionable in terms of performance, but I don't think it's his fault because the majority of this movie is about a suicidal artist who goes off into, into the desert. He literally drives out in the desert and flips his Jeep. So he's like, I'm so fed up of Hollywood and all the bullshit. So he just drives it in the desert and just like wrecks his car and just starts walking. And then Oscar Isaac turns up as a drifter and starts talking to him. And to describe how Oscar Isaac sounded in this movie, he's doing a very good impression of Michael Keaton from Beetlejuice. Just a weird throaty uh, growl. Okay. And he said, and <laughs> if you took a shot or a drink every time Oscar Isaac says brother in this movie, you'd be flattening her ass about halfway through. Because that's like his vocal anime tick where he just says brother at the end of every sentence. <laughs> like, he says brother so much Hulk Hogan would blush. <laughs> oh, wow. And the thing is, um, the, the whole movie is kind of like the suicidal artist runs afoul Oscar Isaac's drifter character and the whole movie is like this weird cat and mouse game where like they have this there's like this weird reflection of each other. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, there's like there's a lot in the movie where just nothing happens, and then they make up for that. But there's just like a lot of talking. Yeah. But like every extended bit of dialogue is just horseshit. Okay. <laughs> like it's all like I couldn't repeat anything they said because they're just going a mile a minute, and it's just like this pseudo intellectual gibberish. Oh. Fine. Like it, like it all sounds smart. None of it means a goddamn thing. Yeah, I know Pat, what you, you mean. you just don't get it. But there's an there's especially funny bit when they have like their first confrontation after they after their incident in the desert. So he so they go to an empty bar where it's just, you know, the the two of them and a bartender and they have like this I swear movies worth of dialogue within 10 minutes. And the whole time I'm thinking they just asked the bartender for a glass of water. And he's been gone for over 10 minutes. So I'm just thinking the bartender is just standing there awkwardly while these two are just like jabbering nonsense at each other. Jesus Christ. That sounds like hell. It's not actually that It's that bad. I think it's funny to watch just to see the gobbledygook yeah. of it. Yeah. And if you're horny for Oscar Isaac, he's in a pink thong for a good <laughs> third of it. Oh, okay. Their final confrontation in the movie is actually, think, looks neat. Yeah. It's still silly and overly talkative, but I think it's way too navel gazely for its own good. Uh, yeah. But but it's just so absurd. <laughs> it should be watched just to hear the dialogue because none of it makes sense. Yeah. There's a bit where Oscar Isaac's talking about comparing humanity to cobwebs. Man, it's cobwebs. I'm like, 
whatever the fuck that means. That sounds oh like God. some weird. And shit. because Oscar Isaac's like this antagonist, and like there's there's only really one scene of him like digging through the clues and trying to find out where Homeboy is, the main character. You only see that once, but then literally every other time he just fucking teleports and appears. To, just turns up every time, just fine. There's literally a time where uh, main character's just walking in the house, Oscar Isaac teleports behind him and beats him blue with an axe handle. <laughs> also, Marky Mark's in this movie. Okay. Uh, Walter Goggins is in the movie too. And the first time you see him, he's on a phone call with the main character and he's like... Like, in his tidy whities and, like, high-rise socks. And the thing is, he doesn't do jack shit in this movie. He just wears a white suit and just sort of, like, stands vacantly to the side smoking a cigarette. And that's the extent of his role. I, I just remember when you were watching that movie, uh, like, I came out of my room and all I hear is, Walter Goggins! Because <laughs> it's a shock! Mark Wahlberg's in it for some reason. He's like a producer who's uh, exasperated at everything. But like he's got, uh, he's got an old phone and a bunch of hoes. Jesus, Christ. this sounds like if Neil Breen made a somewhat competent movie. Sh- mm. I don't think that's possible. <laughs> Me either. I'm just saying in the hypothetical reality where that okay. might happen. So that was my um, Oscar Isaac a movie hole. If you want to see the opposite end of his career, yeah, I think it's for yeah. I was going to say those movies don't sound very good, fun, but they do. They sound do sound fun. fun there's a difference between good and fun, and a, a movie cannot be good, but it can still be fun. Yes. Mojave's on Netflix, and Revenge for Jolly's on Doodoo. Yeah, check it out on Doodoo. Alrighty. Originally, I just had one suggestion, but then I remembered a couple other things. Um, so, one movie, or this is a short film that's on Vimeo. It's called Sunspring. It's nine minutes, it's real short, and... The entire gist of it was the script was written by an AI, and it is about what you would expect for a script written by an AI. It has the the main guy from Silicon Valley. Oh uh, yeah, okay. uh, Tom. But Bean. yeah, his, I just know his uh, social media thing. <laughs> it's really funny. Check that one out. And and another movie I've been screaming at everybody to watch since I saw it was. Uh, South Korean film by uh, old boy director Park Chan Wook, The Handmaiden. It, it's on. It's it's on Amazon Prime. I, I th- yeah, it is. Yes, it's on Prime. Yeah, and and it is it is wild. Uh, whenever you think you have caught up with a movie, it actually actually the movie is like two miles ahead of you. It is it 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 ch- like it just change like I don't know how to describe it. It is just a wild fucking movie that takes so many twists and turns <laughs> that you don't see coming. And, and <laughs> there, there's, there's one scene in particular where uh, you see it from one character's perspective and it's like, okay. And, and then you see it from another, the, the uh, other character's perspective and it goes on and on and on and it's fucking great uh but yeah it, it's like because it's a bit of a period piece right yeah it, it's actually it's based off of a english novel uh called uh fuck what is it called like the fingersmith or something like that and uh this uh the handmaidens it's set in uh like 1930s japan and and this uh this woman who works for this guy who's kind of a con artist is hired to uh, 
basically be the handmaiden for this uh, this Japanese heiress of the aristocracy. And the, uh, that's all I'm going to say, because, it, like I said, uh, it, it is fucking crazy. It's one of my favorite movies to check yeah. it out. That's one of the movies that I plan um, to check yeah. out, because... You and Cody talk about it a whole lot. Yeah, cause cause we watched it together, and, and like I said, there was multiple points where we were screaming just because of how just fucking crazy it is. Um, and then for the uh, and a movie I actually just finished watching maybe a couple hours ago was it's on Netflix. Um, uh, it's the I'm trying to remember how to pronounce this fucker's name. Uh, Denis Villeneuve film. Enemy. Oh yeah, what's the with oh yeah, creepy boy? Is Denis Villeneuve? Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh okay. Yeah, yeah, it's. I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, I do recommend people watch it because it's something. (laughs) Uh, and and I'm not going to go into spoilers too much, just because it it is definitely one of those movies. You, it it works better if you have no idea what's going on. Uh, but the the premise of the the movie is. Jake Gyllenhaal plays a a history professor at a university, and he happens to come across this movie where he sees a guy in it that looks just like him. And apparently, it is it is an actor who lives in the same city as him, and and like I said, it looks just like him. And they meet up, and yeah, it's like I said, I don't know how I feel because it, it is. It, 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 I, I will say it is definitely not for everybody. It's really, really slow. It's only an hour and a half, but it feels like three hours. Uh, and that's not necessarily a criticism because I think that that's part of the point. It's just really methodically paced, and the entire time you're just tense because it's like, oh, fuck, what's going to happen? Also, yeah, this movie's was, really yellow. Say, uh, yeah. the, uh, like, really co- fucking yellow. Uh, the cover, because I have it on my Amazon wish list, um, the cover is like yellow with like I think uh, red font, like a red like big font that says enemy, and um, that's the thing about Van uh, Neve is that uh, a lot of his films, he, the way he uses color is like an important part of um, of that of uh, of that film of how he, yeah, uh, specifically oh, yeah, like definitely. Blade Runner twenty forty nine and Sicario. Um, Sicario was depth subtle. <laughs> But the use of color in that film was very, um, very present because that's just that's his film style. Yeah, um, and I think this is actually might be my the first film I've seen from him. Which, what? at least from the impression I've got with his other films, it is this is definitely an outlier. This is um, at least how where he's situated in my mind, and and it could change when I see the rest of his movies, but he sits in uh, sort of the in-between mainstream Hollywood film and art piece. And he's and it seems like he's able to juggle those yeah. both well, both really well. This is full yeah, full can, on the art piece I can side. understand that. He's definitely it in the middle v- right there. Yeah, and he's definitely very moody. Um, the, the, the final, like... <laughs> The final shot of the movie, it ended, and I was like, okay, that happened. Okay. What? Uh, what? Why are you screaming? Um. <laughs> it, it, it was, it, it, oh, man, it was, I, I'm still reeling from it, and, and it's one of those things. I think I like it. I think I do, but I don't know, because I, I remember, like, coming out of the movie and just being like, okay. <laughs> All right. That 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 was a movie, but it, yeah, it's 
like like I said, I think I'm I, I do enjoy it overall. Um, like it's definitely not for everyone, um, but it it is on Netflix. And like I said, it's about it's an hour and a half, and even though it feels longer than that, yeah, you know, it's not too much of a wait, uh, too much uh, of your time. And yeah, I, I recommend. Yeah, if anyone wants to check out any of other of Van Evoy's work, uh, he has done the movie Arrival, fantastic. He's done Prisoners, fantastic. He's done Blade Runner twenty forty nine, fantastic. And he's done Sicario, my favorite movie of all time. And Please Sicario, watch it, which is also fantastic. His his lineup of movies, those four right there are just like top notch like go watch this for and then you know uh, like Jonathan said if you want to watch enemy go watch enemy uh, i definitely want to watch it yeah i gotta watch it eventually it's one of the few of his movies that i kind of like don't want to watch immediately because i know how i'm probably gonna feel about it which is gonna be it's okay <laughs> but i will watch it yeah that, that, that was sort of like my impression when i came out of it was like Okay, it is a movie that makes you work. Like it is very metaphorical, and it it is not literal. And some imp- uh, I was reading some interpretations of the movie. It's oh. not even in chronological <laughs> no. order. Uh, yeah, it is a very and, and and the thing is, is like when I came out of the movie, it's like okay, I see what I see mostly what you're trying to do. Uh, maybe not entirely, but I I it was like. I don't know if I want to put in the effort to actually dig into it, yeah. you know, because because there's a lot of movies like you'll watch and you'll be drawn in and it's, oh, man, I want to, you know, really analyze this, dig into it, see what it's about. And this one, I definitely didn't come out of that immediately wanting to do do that. I, I definitely want to sort of yeah. look at yeah, what people have that. to say about it. But but yeah, if, if that sounds interesting to you, check it out. It's on. Yeah. Netflix. I've got, oh, nice. I let me finish my list now. I've got five more for my Netflix recommendation. Uh, for number six uh, is a movie that I believe we've all seen, I think. I don't remember if Jonathan was there, but Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah, I have not seen it. Yeah, that that was from our, one of our major yeah. weekends. Dallas Buyers Club is about an electrician that contracts AIDS and proceeds to learn how to smuggle drugs into the U.S. for people that suffer from the it, uh, it's from uh, AIDS. Ex- experimental drugs that haven't been approved by the FDA. So he's trying to um, so he smuggles them in, you know, to to help with uh, with people who are suffering from AIDS and HIV with their treatment. Um, yeah, it's yeah, and this was and it's set during the the yeah. AIDS crisis in the '80s, right? Yeah, so you know, the government definitely was not was definitely letting people yeah. die. And it shows it in the movie as so. well. With uh, they got Matthew yeah. McConaughey, which he is the main character, and they got Jared mm-hmm. Leto, which Jared Leto is actually Jared really Leto. really good in this movie. Yeah, I don't remember the name of the character he plays, but uh, very good. It's based on real events as well, so it's a bio bio biopic. Biopic. Yes. Uh, check out Dallas Buyers Club. Uh, wait, wait. Uh, number I, I will seven. Say, though, with Dallas Buyers Club, be careful. There is like some strong um, language in there, especially from Matthew McConaughey's character, because um, you know he is a heterosexual male, and uh, when he contracts this disease, you know it's uh, it's something. Yeah, it, it's it's yeah yeah. 
and you kind of have to go into realizing it. it. It's a movie set in the eighties, so there's definitely going to be some reflect. language that oh today yeah, but, wouldn't be inappropriate. But, you know, would be it, inappropriate. It, it, again, it's we're focusing on this character, this person, this character. So you know there has to be something there. But uh, go ahead. Uh, number seven is The Gift, starring Jason Bateman. Uh, totally not redoing this. So uh, Jason Bateman plays the main character. Him, he plays uh, a man that just got married and they moved into this nice, nice house. And uh, they get uh, a visitor at the grocery store one day. It's uh, he. It's a weird dude that just like comes up and he's a creepily hovering behind him type person and uh he comes to realize this is someone from his past so uh he's like oh i don't really recognize you but you recognize me so i'm gonna play along with this and uh he comes to find out this guy is somebody that he's wronged in uh the past is uh 25 years ago and uh some crazy things happen throughout the movie it's uh Definitely worth a watch. I don't want to go into too much detail in this one because it is, uh, it's kind of like a thriller horror in a way, and I don't want to, like, say the spoilers yeah. for that. But The Gift is the title, so you can get yeah, something. Yeah, I remember, from I remember that. this came out in 2015. I remember seeing the trailer, uh, for this, like, everywhere. Yeah, it's, uh, it's as he said it. You know, if you look at the letterbox page, uh, there's a dude holding a gift. <laughs> that's the cover for the rest of these it's kind of like i don't want to spoil situation because the next one is obsessive brothers movie that's also on netflix it's called G- good time it's oh. a it is just like uncut gems uh not story-wise but like the way your anxiety is at its max level the whole time i don't <laughs> want to say anything for the story i don't want to even introduce it because it is crazy, and you should definitely check it out. If you liked Uncut Gems, you will like this movie. Yeah, I've been meaning to watch that one. Yeah. And, and speaking of Uncut Gems, it'll be uh, officially Ooh. streaming on Netflix May 25th. Oh, okay. okay. So if anybody's endeavored to <laughs> go back down that ride again and just have your nerves completely no, blown good. out. Yeah, I'm, I'm not ready to start flapping for 15 minutes. And that's afterwards. we saw that in January, <laughs> yeah. and that still feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but hey, it's got Robert Pattinson. He's really, really good in this movie as well. Uh, number mm-hmm. nine is uh, Sturgill Simpson presents Sound and Fury. It's oh wait, <laughs> is oh the, yeah, the it's, album. Yes, it's an album, but it's also a music video. It's like uh, uh, it's like uh, what is it called? Interstellar five 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 by Daft Punk where they uh, created a music video around the whole album. And it is very, very, very beautiful. It uh, has a bunch of studios working on it, like uh, how uh, Love, Death, and Robots does, where they had like, a bunch of studios doing different yeah. stories. They did the same thing for this. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really good. It's got beautiful visuals uh, throughout the whole movie. Uh, but... I will say some of the song is some of the music is uh, not to my taste. I'm not a big fan about, of yeah. a good bit of the music, but yeah, I was about to say he because Sturgill he Simpson's last, a country artist. Right? Uh, I don't know if it was last year, or the year before, but it was a uh, it was like uh, it was a country album, I think. But I think one of the big things about it was it was a Christian country album, something like that. And then he came out with this, which was more on the side of rock. So. Yeah, it was more on side of the rock. Plus, there's like nothing religious in this. It's about like samurai going through uh, like a weird post-apocalyptic world. It's nothing 
nothing like his other I mean, that stuff was just one album that I know of that was like that. Yeah, yeah. Still, check it out. Very good. Only 40 minutes. Uh, and, like, nine minutes of that 40 minutes is credits, so check it out. Uh, and the last movie that I'm going to talk about is The Ritual. Absolutely fantastic horror oh, movie. yeah. About a group of friends oh, that go into the wilderness. I can't remember where, what continent or what area. It's in Sweden. I want to say it's either Norway or Sweden. It's in Sweden and Sweden. some crazy stuff goes on. You can tell by the name yeah. Ritual that uh, some some wacky yeah, stuff go, happens um, there. Hold on, I got up. Because I... And just to say, because we watched that, do you, uh, you, me, and... Winslow and Tanner one night, and and that movie's sort of tone and sort of like the sort of the general sort of like spooky horror vibes clash so hard with what else we watched that night because we watched Keanu yeah. the <laughs> the Key and Peele cat movie and uh, um, Hachi's Tale about the the American adaptation of the uh, story of the dog that waited for its owner after it was an animal movie night, night. with uh, Richard Gere and. Uh, <laughs> jumping between those two movies and then the ritual is just like whiplash. You have like, oh no, a sad dog. After the movie, after you saw that, ate ice cream and just had to feel better. They go back to watch just yeah, weird, uh, yeah, scary I had, movie. I've seen the ritual because it came out in 2017. And I'm trying to think when we got together to watch that. It was sometime either 2019 or 2018. Because I've been telling everybody to watch it. So I was like, you know what, right now, let's watch it right now. It's late at night. Let's watch it. And um, it's uh, it's based off a book by um, by uh, let me see Adam Neville. And now <laughs> I um, I recently decided to look into because I I bought one of his other books, but I decided to look into that book, The Ritual. And people do not like that book. <laughs> people, yeah, because uh, really? from what I understand, it's vastly not because I'm not saying like is a comparison between the movie and the book. I know people like who have like i i've i've looked at people who've read the book who i don't think i've ever heard of the movie they just read the book and they just hate it because it's it's very very sexy but and but the thing is is that oh. when i saw that i was like wow oh. the movie is completely different from the book because there is nothing nothing like that in the movie <laughs> so i recommend yeah. you go check out that that uh the movie the movie's very very good um it's like we said it's a horror movie about four Four hikers, college hikers, going into a mountainous forest area of Sweden uh, as uh, as part of a trip. And, um, yeah, that's all you need to know. Very good. Yeah. All these movies that I talked about on Netflix, check them out. They're very good. And uh, you don't really have anything better to do. You're locked inside doing your thing. Watch some good movies. Uh, just watch some good movies. Well, we got a lot of very strong recommendations, but from the sad to scary, it's about time we go back to the weird. Because uh, not too long ago, Jonathan and I, we, we watched the movie, at my suggestion, it's on Hulu, and it's called Low Life. Now, when I, when I first saw this movie, I, I thought, okay, this is like this weird, like, Pulp Fiction-esque dark comedy. And let's just say the, the final product is markedly different in tone from that trailer I saw. Yeah, like, uh, I, I don't even know how to describe this movie. It is, like, because I, I remember we finished it, and me and Pat kind of sat for, like, about 30 minutes and talked about how it just made us super uncomfortable. And, and we couldn't really put a pinpoint on to why. Yeah, there, there were a few things that we could be like, that was weird, you know, but it was just like, 
and it, it's not like the good uncomfortable, you know, where where it was like you, you watch a horror movie and it's like ooh, or or like um, uncut yeah. gems where you're just like anxiety ridden the whole time. But it's really is it well like uh, uh, no. Thanksgiving and your uncle says something very bad, uncomfortable. It's like th- <laughs> it's like Thanksgiving and and and, it, and your uncle doesn't say something super bad, but it's definitely questionable. Okay, because. Just to, to give an idea, um, like I said, it's sort of told through different POVs. Like it's it, it very much in the Pulp Fiction sort of vein is that there are these different overlapping vignettes where, you, where you're giving one portion of the story and the next portion of the story sort of happens simultaneously and it's sort of sort of it, it, everything's all connected, but you're not giving the whole story at once. So like as the movie progresses. The different characters, sort of through their different uh, perspectives, give you entire, you know, narrative. Yeah, and a lot of times you'll like at the end of one person's perspective, you'll have a scene and, and you'll see it through their eyes, and, and then it will jump back to the other people who are a part of that scene, and it shows how they got to that point and their perspective on that scene, and it just kind of does that like three or four times. And the, the first vignette is the um, from the perspective of a uh, luchador, the El Monstro, Monstro, excuse me, and he's sort of like this strange vigilante from like a from a very long lineage of luchadors uh, and social vigilantes. So like he's this masked wrestler who's apparently the last of his line, and he's sort of fallen on hard times. Like he accidentally killed someone in the ring. And now he's sort of being used as like a strong man for like a local, I guess, Drug. kingpin. Yeah, yeah. And and, and like uh, the way they they talk about him, he's like the runt of the litter. He's like, he, especially his dad was this like massive dude, and apparently he's like super small, but he also super jack. There, there's definitely some dissonance with that story because you definitely get the idea. Like, obviously, it's set in like a real world. So like he's this mass wrestler who's sort of a hit like a hitman strongman vigilante. He's like, but it, at least my interpretation, he seems like he's extremely mentally ill and he's being taken advantage of by this kingpin. He has like this stum over him and he's sort of serving him out of this misplaced sense of, um, I guess, appreciation yeah. that he's like, he's given like a a purpose, but. His sort of main flaw is that he goes into, like, these blind berserker rages where he'll, like, freak out over somebody and just wake up and just carnage. Yeah, and and not only is the moments before he uh, goes into a rage pretty comical, like, just, like, the face he makes is just like, oh, my God, this is this is unintentionally hilarious. Like, he'll just scream at the sound will cut out, so it's just him, like, there's no volume of him yelling, and then, boop, he just wakes up on the floor and then all of a sudden, oh, there's the either <laughs> broken furniture or dead people. Yeah, because like the because his first sort of uh, blackout, he's trying to get money from this guy who who shorted the kingpin, and he's like he goes to like the dude's daughter's quinceanera, and he starts make talking shit, and then he freaks out, wakes up in the carnage, and he he, he sees that he killed the guy, but he like literally smashed the dude's oh, head into a pulp with like a propane all tank. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and the, and the movie is weirdly violent. Like, and, and, and like, I, I don't know. Usually, like in mo- like a lot of movies, like I, I'm usually I really like violent movies. Blood gore, you know, doesn't 
doesn't bother me, but there was something about the violence in this movie that made me really uncomfortable. Because that's one of the things that, that's really sort of hard to wrap around the movie because, like, there's a lot about the movie that's sort of just, like, really silly and, like, madcap that that kind of captivates you. But what keeps you from, like, really, I guess, sinking in is just, like, how dark and sort of uncomfortable the rest of the movie is. Because like, the movie is very much like oil and water with, mm-hmm. with, with some of the stuff it tries to do because the silly stuff, like the luchador who blacks out... And, like, the uh, the kingpin and how just silly and over top he is. And then, like, the and, other miscellaneous characters that yeah. we'll get to. We'll definitely get to. <laughs> is that. <laughs> Cause like, I just, that just flashed back into my mind. And I was like, oh, god damn it. We got to talk about that. Guy. Yeah, just one character. But we'll get to in due time. Don't worry. <laughs> is that all the weird, silly stuff <laughs> clashes so hard with just a deeply dark underbelly of the movie where, like, the kingpin's, like, involved in not only sexual human wow. trafficking, but also organ theft? Yeah, but the movie, it, it tries to have its cake and eat it, too, where it tries to play it seriously, but also uh, a quirky, oh. like, early hmm. Tarantino movie. Yeah. Where, oh, this is fun, you know, but... It, it kind of just makes... The silly stuff seemed like so out of place when, when, he, when especially there's a moment where El Monstro is leading someone <coughs> down to the basement of the Kingpin's lair to like let him have sex with this woman they have captive. Part of El Monstro's sort of character is that he feels conflicted for not helping the downtrod and like his family members. Are. Like he literally like for a second like contemplate suicide and then just uh, walks it off. But like it's it's really jarring when it happens. Because, like, some of the uncomfortable stuff is really uncomfortable because this is, like, some of the worst things that people do. Yeah, and if if you haven't realized by now, a huge content warning. For sure. Yeah, and, and then the movie tries to make El Monstro very... They try to make him sympathetic, but, y- you know, he is knowingly complicit in all of this. And, and, and I can sort of get where it's like, well, you know... You know, a lot of people, when they're stuck in situations like that, you know, they think that's the only option they have, blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. It was just... But then, I, I think the where uh, the char- they, they lost me with this character is one of his berserker rages he goes on is with his pregnant wife. And it, we come to find out later, he, he didn't physically hurt her. But it, it it was still like the implication of that w- is really uncomfortable, and I keep saying that. But it, it's it's trying to make you sympathize with this guy who is a domestic abuser, because even if he never like actively or intentionally hurt her, just the idea that he's just a time bomb that could go off at any moment that that still creates an unhealthy environment for a partner. Oh, well, and then, yeah, and that, and, and, and it's just how he doesn't really give a shit about her. He's only caring about the baby the entire time. Because he's like, my legacy! And it's like... Like, like he's, he's trying to redeem his family lineage because, like, what his ancestors have done and what he's sort of failed to do. So, sort of like, I have to recoup my family's losses with my child. So, his wife is sort of like a means to the end. And then, like, sh- and the wife is is connected to the next main character in the vignette. Which is this this manager of a very poor hotel motel, and she's a former addict, and she's trying to raise money for a back alley kidney transplant for her addict husband, 
and we find out that the El Monstro's wife is the child of the two addicts that they gave up years ago. And she asked the kingpin to essentially kidnap the kidnap that pregnant woman, take her kidneys, so the addict's husband can tra- get the transplant and live. Yeah, but uh, but the the kingpin tells her that the daughter's okay with it, but she really doesn't know what's going on. She doesn't even know her parents exist, and and if it sounds confusing, that's because it is. <laughs> and, and so they. Uh, but uh, and then the husband inv- eventually finds out. You know, he's she's like, "Oh, I'm going to get you a kidney," and he's he's kind of resigned to his fate because it because uh, mm. he's in renal failure. Uh, and he's like, he's like, "Just don't give me hope. I've already kind of come to terms with the fact I'm going to die." And, and then uh, shenanigans happen. Uh, he finds out who the donor's going to be, which was their daughter that they gave up because they were. They were raging alcoholics, and he ends up committing suicide. And this is number two where I felt really uncomfortable because it it shows the aftermath in in a way that it, it was really rough to see. Because you have like this sort of another cake and eat it moment too, where it's like they want to like, hey, we we want to show like how good like our special effects, how our gore budget. But it's like it's the result of a suicide. So like this weird spectacle scene. So it's because like the the woman walks in on her husband post suicide, and then of course she's obviously horrified at this scene. And you're sort of like, this is definitely mm. a weird choice. Yeah. So she um, so she goes and tries to find her daughter to warn her warn them about. Um, about what's about to happen. About what, what's about to happen. I, I'm just trying to embrace myself for what happens next. So, and, and there's a reason we're going bit by bit, just because I, I don't think I recommend this movie, but I got to tell somebody about this movie. It gets, it's, uh, I, I was going to say that for the end. It's like, I'm not sure I recommend it. And if I do, it's like a very cautious recommendation, but like, it's just so bizarre. Like, I have to talk about it because I... Because like I had, I have had to live with what I saw the last couple of weeks. Now. <laughs> okay, so she goes, tries to um, uh, tell her daughter that, hey, you know, you know, run from this guy. He's going to take your kidneys. So he, she finds her daughter, and she's about to get out of the car to help her. But then another car pulls up, and, and these two assailants kidnap the daughter and. One, you know, the one guy is normal. He's just a normal guy. But then the guy, the next guy is a guy in a blue jumpsuit, shaved head, and a swastika tattooed on his face. And not just like a little one, like it's across his entire face. (laughs) That was just sort of what what we said was, wait, oh, oh, okay. And it, and that that jumps the third vignette is was about the two kidnappers, and, and then the normal guy is black. So it, there there's this weird like, wh- okay, how did that happen? <laughs> because but then and then they they explain it because the, the the two guys they used they were like lifelong friends, and then the white guy went to jail for several several years, and then it, the other his friend goes to get him pick him up after jail, and he realized he has this big uh, tattoo across his face. And he's like, hey, man, I just did this to get perfection in jail because no one's going to fuck with me if I had this tattoo. 
And but then he didn't think like, oh, he's gonna have that for the rest of his life. And so like, <laughs> but the weird thing is that his the white guy, he's like a Jamie Kennedy level character and like Malibu's most wanted, super try hard white wannabe gangster dude. If someone was doing a parody of like early Eminem, <laughs> that's essentially what this character oh, would yeah. be. Yeah, and so like, and apparently he had like all of his friends and stuff are in the black community. And then I think at one point he gets jumped because he has a fucking swastika tattooed on yeah, his he face. He, there's this weird moment where he like tries to say, oh, the black guy is being racist for talking and thinking a certain way. And then 30 seconds later, the white dude is getting just stomped out by, by the Hispanic residents of this neighborhood. Yeah. And, 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 and then only then does he regret only then. Uh, having the swastika tattoo. Only then. And, and, and like... Like Pat was saying, like just the this character is like it's like he he's in a Tom Green movie. It, it, it's he's acting like he's Tom Green. Like he's it feels like it's a he's a cartoon character. And when when there's parts of this movie that feel like painfully real, like when like we're at the um, the woman's the, the manager's like at her hotel, like he's just in this very very poor part of Los Angeles and sort of like that ground level like impoverished neighborhood feels so like gritty and real like just stark and kind of hopeless because the, like a lot, like a lot of people there are like illegal immigrants and she saw like an like an ice uh operative discard a bunch of them away to be essentially sold into slavery or use their organs for harvest because the ice guy works for the kingpin so you have like this very like this it's like you have these really weird uncomfortable real moments like just episode with just fucking insanity. Yeah, just with the guy with the fucking swastika for her face, and and, and then we haven't really talked about the kingpin much. <laughs> but if I can describe this guy, it's just greasy. He, he's just fucking greasy. He, he's really like sleazy and slimy, and, and I guess that makes sense because you have to have someone evil enough to contrast with everybody else. It's like no one's really like a sympathetic character, but like they have to be, you have to be able to follow along with them enough to care about what they're doing. So you make the bad guy the worst bad guy they can think of in this movie. Yeah, so kind of speeding it along due to shenanigans, all these characters kind of converge at the ho- at the motel, and uh, and then they're trying. They, it's like oh, it's just a misunderstanding. Because one thing I forgot to mention was the the black guy and the swastika guy. They uh, they eventually like because they get hired to uh, by the kingpin guy to kidnap that the the daughter of the woman who owns the motel. God, try, El Monstro's wife. El Monstro. It's trying to keep track with all this shit. It's fucking they'll need stupid. like a spider web just to connect everybody. Yeah, I feel like Charlie Day and Ollie Sunny, but. Uh, so uh, they finally, you know, they kidnap her, but then they're like, oh, this is kind of fucked. We're not going to do it. And so, that you know, after, you know, misunderstandings, they all come to an understanding like, okay, uh, let, let's try to help this poor woman out. Then old uh, Kingpin guy shows up, basically intimidates him, uh, takes back the, the girl, the, the woman, and, and then just pulls out a f- fucking, like, assault rifle and tries to mow them down in the building but the only guy who gets hit is the uh is the black guy and and he he gets shot in the arm and it you know and it does not look lethal at all like it looks like he just got tagged like he just said it was like 
oh, I got shot. So they all hop in the manager's van and just speed off to catch the kingman and just figure out what their next plan. But then the black guy dies from, like, this seemingly shallow arm wound. And just, like, he dead. And then there's just, like, oh, shit. Um, well, he died for no real reason. So uh, it's time to fuck some shit up. Yeah. It's supposed to be the darkest moment in the script. And, but you're just left scratching your head. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, okay. Because he literally dies in Nazi boy's arms. And it's like, and he's like, oh, my best friend, why uh, you die? That's weird. But hey, he makes it very clear he's not. <laughs> but, 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 but Colt, he's not uh, racist. Like He makes it very clear that he's not racist. <laughs> So uh, they go back to the little underground layer of the kingpin, and they end up uh, setting the uh, the sex slaves free, and they end up fighting with uh, the kingpin and then the his king- hired squad. Yeah, one who's an ICE officer, and, and, and just this whole scene, it made me question. Well, how? Do, okay, so if the black guy died from one shot to the arm, how the fuck does El Monstro, like, the, the kingpin literally takes a snub nose and unloads it into this guy's chest. Like, he's, there's one point where he's literally shot, like, in the heart. He gets shot, like, six times. But um, El Monstro is, like, the key character has, like, his, his historic resolve because we buried the lead a little bit because <laughs> all this, you know, chaos <laughs> excitement makes the wife give birth. Oh, yeah. So it's like, this, it's like do they have to give birth in this meat locker? And El Monstro is like, hey, oh, my, my baby, my son. And he's like, yeet! And he just runs out the building. It's like, my legacy is secured. What? And then the other three are just like, what the fuck? And then and that's when all the higher guns showed up and just like, they start like shooting up the the, uh, the, the meat locker. Uh, it, 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 this movie's fucking nuts. But El Monster comes to his senses and is like, oh, I got to save everybody. So he goes back down and tries to do like a one-man army thing. Doesn't quite work out. And there's an uncomfortable moment where the manager fights the ICE agent to save her her newfound daughter. We just have this really long, uncomfortable scene of essentially a police officer strangling a black woman to almost to death. Yeah. This is probably the most uncomfortable the part fuck? of the movie. Yeah, I would totally agree because it, and when we say it's long, it's minutes long. Like you literally think that she's about to die. Yeah, but then she gets saved. I don't remember how, and at this point, it's just like. You're just, you're just thankful it's over. I'm just thankful it's over. Uh, so El Monstro, after getting fucking blasted in the chest multiple times, he gets up, he uh, beats old Greasy Boy to death with his hands. I mean, and by to death, we mean he turns his head into like a puddle of red pudding. Yeah, and, and it does not cut away at all. Uh, so uh, then El Montro finally does croak out because, you know, he got shot that many times. So they they he dies and... But his legacy lives on. Not in the baby, because he realizes he doesn't want a life of crime and uncertainty and violence for his newborn child. So instead, the white wannabe gangster... With a swastika fur face. Takes up El Monstro's <laughs> mantle and wears the mask, thus covering his shameful tattoo and giving him new purpose to turn his life around. So he gets in the van and takes all the 
freed women to safety, and then uh, the manager and her newfound daughter and newfound grandchild can restart their lives as a new uh, whole family. And that's how it ends. And then we just sat in silence for a good bit and, and just sort of like tried to piece together what the hell we just saw. This sounds terrible. It doesn't it sound is. like I like usually with some wacky over the top movies. I will be like, okay, I want to check this out. Uh, I don't. I don't at all. <laughs> don't want to. I, I mean, just look up the the guy with the swastika. Oh, I did. It looks and, and... stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, like, but now he's a luchador. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, like, we are both just sort of weirdly unsure about everything. We both gave it, like, a 2 out of 5, because just kind of like, this is the only thing we can think to do. And But what's more curious is that the movie is pretty well-reviewed. Like, just looking at its letterbox, it's, you know, it has a lot of 3 to 4-star reviews. And yeah. we're just kind of strangely flummoxed. Well, I'm like, how could anyone see this movie and think it is, it is any sort of good? And, and there's not even to say that there's, like, like everything in the movie is bad. Like, it's actually, for, like, a semi-amateur, like, independent film, it shot really well. Yeah, like, it, like it, the movie looks good and has some, obviously, some very strong production value. I just kind of feel like if they had chosen one of the two paths, either make this starkly real and go with there, or just take the madcap route and go there. I feel like it, it tried to do both and it didn't do either well. Exactly. So yeah, it's on Hulu. Uh, don't watch it. We basically just told you yeah. the entire plot so you don't have to watch it. So, so, I mean, and that's why we're explaining it because thank you. Man. we take the hit so you don't have to. Yeah, we died for yeah, your sins. You, so, But don't worry, after that experience, we're going to take it back up. Okay. We're going to end on a high note. Or at least a more happier note, because my final movie that I watched today, I actually watched on probably an off-kilter streaming source. I watched it on Canopy. Oh, okay. And Canopy, for those who don't know, is like is a free streaming service that's available for anyone who has an active student ID or a public library card. And our public library recently spread this around on their Twitter and like... Winslow talked about because he goes he goes to a university and he has access to this. So I checked it out with my active library card. And Cybees, that's one of the things I miss, everything being shut down, the quarantine. I, I love going to the library, and that's one of the places I hope to go back to once all this is over. Nerd. About, so I, Fuck off. So I started so I started my Canopy account, and the, this, is a, this, is a, this is a great resource. It's a free access to, like, all of these, like, documentaries and, like, foreign films and high-end uh, pieces of cinema. Yeah, and they have a a vast majority of the Criterion collection on theirs. They well. do. They have they have a lot of the Criterion movies, and they, and they they have a special playlist this month because apparently it's if I get this right, Pacific Asian American Heritage uh, Awareness Month. Hey, yeah. Oh hell yeah. Okay. So they have a whole uh, playlist that's full of documentaries and Criterion level films from from what I saw in that clip, mostly. Japan, China, and Korea. So you have like Akira Kurosawa on there, Park Chan Wook. They're all on there. Yeah, it's a great list. So, so I'm on this platform of erudition <laughs> and entertainment. <laughs> right. So naturally, I pick a movie called Wolf Guy to watch. Sounds good. <laughs> okay, Wolf Guy. Wolf Guy. This is 1975. I guess it's it's like a. I don't know quite how to explain. It. It's it's directed by Kazuhiko Yamaguchi. It's about an hour and a half long, and it's 
I guess in a style of like sort of the sensationalist, horrible detective films from the, the 1970s. And it's about a reporter, like a, like a freelance reporter named Akira Inugami, who is secretly the last living scion of a group of wolf de- descendants, the Inugami clan, who his entire family was killed by hunters 30 years ago in the woods. And Akira Inugami is played by the famous Japanese actor Tonijiba. Mm-hmm. And so it, that, that's how the movie opens. That's his flashback. And he, it goes to him being like this slightly private eye, slightly reporter. So he, he meets this uh, young man screaming in the streets. And the people try to figure out what's wrong with him. And then he abruptly dies due to these invisible claw marks. Like he's just ripped to shreds in the streets. So he, just so you know, this is a very sensationalistic, very gory, very sexy movie. Thanks, so, Pat. Just get that out of the way. There's going to be a lot of blood and a lot of titties in this movie. So just Sounds watch good. out. Tig old bitties. So he's, he's, he's just, uh, he sees this man die, and he gets like this vision of a tiger. And to do this really cool thing whenever he's, where he's like confronted with these deaths, like they have like these heat waves that kind of show up in front of his face and before he sees like this pastiche of a tiger stock footage. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of to signify like he's have some sort of resonance to what this experience is so he gets like a, a hot tip from his inside man and they go to investigate because apparently this guy that died he's not the first one that's died like this he's died through like these brutal invisible slashes so they find like this heroin at it he knows like he, he knows this thing because apparently um it's all connected to this woman named miki because this guy and his bandmates they sexually assaulted this woman and they gave her syphilis and they think that she's responsible for their deaths. Like, this is, like, her, like, revenge. And so before, before they can get, uh, press the, uh, the informant for more information, they get jumped by the Yakuza. So uh, Sunny, it's up to Sonny Chiba to, to distract him. So he just starts whipping ass, just, like, doing flips, punching them, and then he'll pull out one of his wolf moves where he claws a guy in the face. But he gets shot. He, he, he has like a very knowing glint to the moon. He's like, I don't have my wolf powers yet. So he just kind of has to bleed out for a while. So he's managed to slip past the uh, Yakuza, but he almost gets caught. If, if it weren't for a stranger on a bicycle, a motorcycle, they hop on the bike and they scoot away. And so he gets plopped into this, no kidding, <laughs> like 1970s love hotel. Spinning bed, bead curtains, and he's just like, huh. And then person takes off her helmet it's like huh, i bet you weren't expecting the lady to save and it's like well i could have guessed so the, so the main guy his best friend gets beat up by the yakuza he loses his informant he gets shot he almost dies at the hand of these organized criminals and it's like so my next move is to obviously just go to town on this motorcycle lady <laughs> so they have gratuitous sex in the spinny bed and what I thought was so what weird is that she takes his hands and starts sucking all the blood off his hands. It's like, girl, don't do that. That's nasty. <laughs> so he meets his best friend who he, he just left to get beat up by the Yakuza at, at, for lunch. And he says, hey, I got some more deets for you about this Miki girl. Turns out she's been a lounge singer in all these um, second-rate strip clubs. So go check that out. So it cuts to, like, this strip club. You see, like, this woman, dressed, this stripper dressed as a geisha. She starts doing her thing undressing and like it's 1975 so when you see that thing it's it's all grown out and then the miki gets her musical number but before it starts you just see you just see this flash of paint turns out it's uh it's the okay. club's logo 
which is a vagina, but it's a butterfly. Okay. Uh, all right. And okay. She, and then she sings her song, and they, and they throw trash at her because we don't want to hear singing. We want to see the goods. <laughs> so they go backstage, and the, where the manager is, like, giving her a chewing out for singing. Oh, Indigami shows up, beats the shit out of the, uh, the old gross owner, and just, like, knocks him down, pulls the chair out from under him, and then just sits the chair on top of his big ass and starts trying to talk to Miki. It's like, hey, I'll help you get out of here. She's like, okay, but you got to buy me heroin first. And it's like, all right. So she runs back in the arms of the Yakuza because they were giving her fix before. He's got to beat up the Yakuza. And then there's a lot of back and forth, and she ends up, her curse activates, so she kills the original informant who turned, who turned everybody in. The curse activates because apparently she was so mad at being sexually assaulted that she, her okay. greds turned into like these weird invisible tiger claws that just kill people. Okay. So they run off the Yakuza, and he takes her back to, to, to I guess, her crib because this is a, just a big picture, like, the entire wall is just a picture of her face. So I'm going to guess that's her house. You know, I have one, too. And he's just like, sit tight. I'm going to figure everything out. They almost have sex, but they don't. He goes to try to figure some stuff out. But then he gets back in time for an assassin to almost kill her. He kills the first assassin. Then there's another assassin right behind him. And so they have this big tussle where, like, I got your gun, dude. What are you going to do next? Then the dude just pulls out a mouse from his shirt pocket, throws it across the room, and the dude's like, Whoa, was that a mouse? And then he, get, he gets a lasso thrown around his neck, and he's, the assassin's just choking him to death. And then another assassin shows up, kills that assassin. It's like, hey, we're part of this secret shady government organization, and uh, remember that chick that you banged for 10 minutes? Well, she's here now, and we're going to kidnap y'all because we're going to use you for the government. Then the whole plot is revealed that uh, Miki, the girl who has the curse, she was betrothed to a very rich young man whose father is the prime minister. But the father found out that he's just marrying a commoner. And plus, he had already arranged, like, a big political marriage with the daughter of a like, entertainment mogul. Yeah. So uh, he had the girl sexually assaulted by the band. And then he gave the, the photos of her assault to his son. He's like, ew, gross. And then they ditched her. So now the government organization is like, hey, we heard this shit's got weird psychic powers. So we're going to turn it into a weapon for the government. So she, they have her remotely assassinate the CEO of the entertainment mogul and the prime minister on live television. Okay. And then they, they lock up Inugami. is like, hey, if you work for us, we'll make things good for you. And he's like, fuck you. All right. They dissect him alive. So there's, like, there's literally footage of someone's like open body cavity surgery kind of to, to take in the spot that he's being like yeah. cut up alive. And also, they take one of the assassins and they transfer his wolf blood into him, and just like he's just like slowly metamorphosized. And so, full moon rolls around. They never they never call it the full moon. They call it the fifteenth day of the lunar cycle. Like like, like somehow that's a copyright they had to get around. <laughs> okay. And so he, so they they just they literally throw him back in his cell with all of his guts hanging out. So he he shines moonlight on himself and. All of his guts just, just suck back in and his tummy closes up. Okay. So he breaks out of jail and he gets attacked by the security guard, but they're more so like an acrobatics team because they're just like popping out of holes and doing flips and rolls the whole time. The most acrobatic like police force you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. But then uh, homegirl, who he banged on the motorcycle, she's like, I'm going to help you get out of here. And then as soon as she helps him get out, she gets shot by the... The assassin who now has wolf powers, and by wolf powers, 
His hair is all frizzed up like you suck his finger in a light socket, and he has vaguely kabuki-like makeup. Okay. So they have a fight in the rain. They're just, like, fighting, and they're, like, jumping. There's, like, these weird after-image effects. And then the assassin randomly dies because he has blood poison because he got his blood mixed with the wolf guys. And to show that, like, he dies in the middle of a thunderstorm, and when he drops dead, to show, like, his blood killed him, they have blood rained down on him, but the footage is reversed. So, like, he, you see, like, bloody rain, and then it all just zoots back up, and it kind of fades to white. Then he just leaves. <laughs> Homeboy just leaves, and he's just walking, you know, that was quite an adventure. Um, I'm going to go back to my ancestor's <laughs> home. And you're thinking, a, right, what about uh, Miki? Uh, what happened to her? And he literally just said, I guess she'll die. What the fuck? <laughs> all right. So he gets back to uh, the, what was the ruins of his ancestral home, and he's like... It's pretty peach felt here. And then immediately, like, 7,500 showed up and just, like, boop, 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 just starts, like, lightening up the countryside. And he just hurls himself off a cliff to get away. They all, they all surround him. It's like, you, like, you'll never escape us, Wolfman. He's like, want to bet? He jumps, like, 10 feet in the air and immediately lands in a net. And then he gets captured. But, but, you, see, but you see, like, a woman scamper up the hill all mysterious, like, turns out um, she's the one girl hunter in the entire group, and she breaks him out. And this is where it takes another turn because um, you're thinking like, okay, what's what's the deal with you, lady? And it's like she's like, hello, Mister Inigami. My name is Taka. You don't know this, but my mom and your mom were best friends. Apparently, I my mom was the only friend the wolf people had. So when they all died, my mom named me after your mom as sort of like token to, of, of our family's mutual friendship. It's like that's nice. Then um, she's like, you want to have sex? She just gets butt ass naked. Like, literally, literally, she goes from, like, being fully clothed, the next scene, her tits are out. Just like, boop! Okay. So she's just butt-ass naked, and, and even even the main character is just kind of like, look, honey, I just went through a lot right now while your boobies out. And she's like, don't worry about that, and she just mashes her tits in his face. And, th- and then, okay, this is, okay, what happens next? Like, psychoanalysis can have a field day with it. As, as like, his face is mushed into her boobies... He has a flashback to when he was a little oh, kid, fuck. like very young, being breastfed by his mother. Oh, no. So he wakes up, oh, and he's no. like sucking on the girl's titty. No. <laughs> and, then he's, and then he's like, you know, I've been reborn in this moment. Wait. Uh, Wait, what? Oh, my God. He's like, you gave him birth to me. You're my mother, and you're also no. my wife. Stop. That's <laughs> no. so, so he just landed there, and he goes back to sucking her titty. What the literal fuck? And then, um, then there's like ten minutes left, and I'm like, "What the fuck's about to happen?" Then the whole mountain just starts fucking blowing up, like there's a landslide, just explosions everywhere. They're like running out the mountain, trying to get away. Turns out the, sh- the shadowy government organization somehow found him, and all their guys are just like, just blowing up the mountain. So he just goes like wolf mode. He stands there and just eats hot shit from all the bullets and just, like, starts killing the hell out of these bad guys. Then the leader of the Shadow Organization throws off a cloak of his Jeep, and it's Miki, you know, the girl he forgot 20 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, guess what? She's going to kill you now because uh, you abandoned her, and she has a right to be mad at you. And it's like, okay, I did abandon her. I will take this, I will take this punishment. And then they have this weird cycle thing because, like, the, the government guy's, like, trying to talk her up. It's like, he abandoned you, kill him. It's like, but I love him. Miki and Taka have like a mutual kill moment. Taka shoots Miki with a shotgun, just like fucking blows her ass away. 
and then and Taka just gets ripped to shreds by the curse, and you see her titties pop out and just blood everywhere. Because of course, because because they're both dead. So then Inigami's just like, well, shit, and he starts. He kills those two by running their jeep off a cliff, and you would think it explodes when it hits the bottom. No, it explodes about halfway down the cliff, and it just tumbles and fire all the way down. Okay. So he, he scoops up Taka's dead body, slings her over his shoulder. And then I guess the last shot of the movie is just him throwing her gun off a cliff. So um, this wow. movie is Buckwild. I want to watch it, <laughs> even though you just said the whole thing. I want to watch it. Me too. This sounds fucking crazy. Like, I honestly wish we had got to watch it, because I promise y'all would have been and screaming as much as I was. Because, like, Johnny will tell you, I was yelling the whole time. Like, and he's not ro- lying. Like, I-, I was actually watching Enemy while he was watching this movie, and all I hear is from Pat's room just screaming for like 20 minutes straight. So obviously I found a very educational film on Canopy. Yeah, it sounds like it, it educated Alrighty. me. But I, I looked up the director on uh, Letterboxd, and God, all of his movies look like, uh, like 70s exploitation movies. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of like guns and women with with like their titties and short skirts and like swords and stuff, so it's very indicative of like the exploitation era of film in the seventies. Like, like there's this one I, I want to see. It's called Sister Street Fighter. Okay. And now uh, we, we got this pretty lady in a dress called the Wandering Ginza Butterfly. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that one too. It's like, oh, okay. So there's a lot of naked asses on this one. So yeah, if you're into fain and provocative, I think Kazuhiko Yamaguchi. Might be if you're yeah, I definitely want to check this dude out because uh, looks uh, looks fun. Looking at these uh, uh, movie covers now. Yeah, yeah. Don't get all red faced. No, my face stays the same color, and that is uh, blood red. So yeah, those were some movies. So I we think may or we... may not recommend. Yeah, I think we ran the gamut today. Uh, we have a lot of a lot of good, a lot of bad, and a lot of just strange. While you're locked up in quarantine, while you're got some time to yourself i think you have a vast array of movies from what we were able to give you to to fill your time with so i think you'll be at the very least intrigued and entertained while you're indoors so i thank you all for listening today we really appreciate you taking the time and tuning in with us you can follow us soundcloud itunes google play google podcast overcast any rssp we're there and we're live be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe on all those platforms. That really helps us out. Really increases our visibility. You can follow the podcast on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at AYC Podcast, on Letterboxd and Facebook at All You Can Hear, and Twitch at twitch.tv slash All You Can Hear, and YouTube at All You Can Hear. And be sure to go back and check the beginning of our month of movies where we talked about our unpopular favorites, movies that we unabashedly loved even if the rest of the world may not share our opinions. And um, I'm Patrick. Thank you again for listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Lost His Name. You can follow my art on Facebook at John Lost His Name Art. My name is Jonathan. You can follow me on Twitter at J-O-N-I-I-B-O-I-24 and the letterbox at John Known Sundolph. My name is Colt. You can follow me on Twitter at ColtD00. Right after this, I plan on watching Apocalypse Now. So that's another movie I'm going to watch. Oh, wow. that That's a doozy. Uh, thank you for listening. I'm Winslow. You can follow me on Twitter at Winslow. Follow my art Instagram at World of Winslow. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.